back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. Stuart Phillips is an expert in muscle and protein turnover. He's a professor at the Department of Kinesiology and School of Medicine at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. He's also the director of the Physical Activity Center of Excellence, where he tells us the average age of the members is 73. I was really honored that he found some time to let me ask him some questions about the benefits of exercise and get some questions answered, too, about how much protein we should be eating on a daily basis for the best results. Here's Dr. Stuart Phillips. Okay, great. How are things in Canada these days? Uh, They're hot, (laughs) but I think that that's (laughs) everywhere. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does get warm here in the summer, so we're, you know, the heat and humidity, we're kind of used to that, but uh, it's been some pretty hot days recently, so. Yeah, we're having a hot day today. It's been pretty nice up till now here in New Hampshire, so, Um, but yeah, it's caught up with us too. All right, well, listen, uh, I've written down some questions to ask you, and then feel free to Get, go off the subject if you want to, but um, let me start. I, you're one of a fairly small number of researchers on the subject of protein and its effects on body composition and exercise. Is that correct? Yeah, there, yeah I think that there's probably a lots of people who do carbohydrates and fats, very few people who do protein, to be honest with you. I, I, I get to travel a fair bit to do some talks, and I kind of run into the same sort of, I would say, half a dozen people that are my usually my, my co-collaborators in the symposium or something. Oh, nice. Okay, well, I'm going to get back to the subject of protein, but uh, my purpose today was really to have you explain the benefits of resistance training. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say I spent the first part of my time here at McMaster. I've been here for 24 years now. Uh, looking at how protein and exercise interact, and the, the exercise form is mostly uh, resistance exercise or weightlifting in younger mm-hmm. individuals. And, you know, that was interesting work, great work, trying to make muscles as big and as strong, make people as strong as you can. Uh, and then the last sort of 12 years or so, uh, I've been more focused on the aging process as, as I've gotten older. Um, and I'm yeah. also the director of something called the Physical Activity Center of Excellence, which is a 500-person community access center, and the average age of people who come into our center is about 73. So it's, it's wow. really been um, sort of a switch in, in, you know, just focuses, I guess. Uh, I mean, I think right. from an athletic standpoint, it's pretty easy to understand why you might want to be bigger, stronger for power-type sports or any sports where you're um, trying to exert a lot of force or a lot of power. Um, As we age, I think the benefits are probably multiple. Um, The first is, of course, that we can push back against what what we know is sarcopenia, so the age-related decline in muscle mass and muscle function. And, and I think, and I've been trying to emphasize this in a, in a few papers that are going to hopefully come out this, this year, 
Um, when you do sort of a head-to-head -head comparison of resistance training to aerobic uh, training or hit style training, whatever you want to say, but something more aerobic-based, you actually find that the, the health benefits are um, more similar than they are different. In other words, uh, you know, we get a reduction in risk for diabetes. We get a reduction in risk for cardiovascular disease. We get a reduction in risk for cancer, et cetera. All, all of the sort of known um, risk factors go down, that go down with aerobic, uh, go down usually to about a similar extent if you're regularly practicing resistance exercise. And I think that's something most people sort of are, you know, they go, oh, I, I didn't know that. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the point of writing these papers is to sort of hammer the point home for sure. Okay. And what, and what are the additional um, benefits of strength training over aerobics? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's fair to say that um, there are some changes that are the exclusive domains of one form of exercise versus the other. If you want to become fit uh, and you want your heart and lungs to work well, you want your circulatory system to work well, that's, that's the domain of aerobic training, no, no question. And, mm -hmm. and we, we know a lot more about aerobic training than we do about resistance training, for sure. Um, if you want to uh, retain your your skeletal muscle, uh, you want to be strong and you want to have some muscle power or the ability to generate force quickly, um, then, then that's the domain of, of strength training. And I think for most people, uh, you probably are not going to be uh, limited in your youth by your strength. But as you get older, certain activities are really functions of uh, strength and power uh, as much as they are functions of aerobic fitness. So it, it probably pays dividends to do both in the end and be cardiovascularly yeah. fit and yet strong at the same time. Um, the, the, the one probably health condition that is, again, uh, fits squarely under resistance or weight training is better uh, would be osteopenia and osteoporosis. So hang on to your, your skeletal uh, mass, if you like, is, uh, is really about doing something that's uh, loading uh, related as opposed to just repetitive uh, aerobic activities. And, and, and not that, you know, things like swimming where you're, you're not loaded at all, but it's a great uh, muscular workout, great cardiovascular workout. It just doesn't do anything for your, uh, for your skeleton or for your bone health. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of us have been on board with uh, doing all three for a long time, uh, weight training, uh, aerobics or cardio, and, uh, and then adding in nutrition. And it sounds like uh, you have a lot of evidence to back all that up. Mm -hmm. So what are some age-related problems that can be reversed by adding muscle? Yeah, I would love to be able to say that uh, resistance training reverses aging. It's a, you know, it's an interesting <laughs> concept, right? I, I mean, uh -huh. I, uh, and to be clear, nothing reverses aging. Like aging still marches on. It still happens. There's no question about that. I think the point now with resistance training is we're trying to slow the decline. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're beginning now to form a picture of muscle that is, 
quite similar to the paradigm that we understand quite well for, for osteoporosis, and that's that, you know, you build up your skeletal muscle mass, or your skeletal muscle, or you build up your skeleton, excuse me, um, up to about age 30, and, you know, mm-hmm. men or women, but women particularly postmenopausally, um, are going to lose bone mass. And, uh, you know, everybody loses about the same rate. So if you start with a high bone mass, then you're less likely to dip into that functional reserve. And the, and, and the analogy fits very well with uh, skeletal muscle. Uh, you, you start to lose it. Uh, we don't know when, um, but as a personal reflection, I always say, well, this year sarcopenia starts at 56. Uh, next year it'll be 57. And, uh, you know, for me it's a moving target. But you know, people say, well, that's pretty specific. And I'm like, well... That, that's my own personal observation. Um, but, you know, some people, because of their activity levels, I'm sure that they begin to lose muscle mass uh, probably in their late 30s, early 40s. And so, okay. you know, th- those people are much more likely uh, at risk for the chronic conditions we've talked about, so cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, et cetera, and also for uh, mobility issues. And I think the biggest thing um, that you could talk about, sort of, I'll call it a reversal or a rescuing of low uh, mobility potential um, is, the, you know, the association with resistance training is very, very strong. So people who have a hard time doing activities of daily living, walking upstairs, walking downstairs, yeah. uh, pushing uh, doors open, closing doors, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those are strength and power activities. They're really manifested when, uh, and uh, rescued best when you practice something that makes you stronger um, as opposed to, you know, going for a brisk walk or uh, a swim or a bike ride. Okay. At, your, um, at this exercise center, do you have a specific program that you put people on, or is it just a variety of uh, exercise offered? Yeah, no, no, we don't have a specific program. Uh, we do cater to different uh, groups. We have a group that are uh, patients who are cardiac rehab, rehab patients, and obviously we spend mm-hmm. a little bit more time working on their aerobic fitness. But for our seniors, we, uh, we really focus on a combination of aerobic fitness and, and strength, um, mm-hmm. and we try to individualize the program. But everything that we do is guided by effort. And so around the gym, we have a lot of, um, they're called Borg scales after a Swedish guy named Gunnar Borg who invented the scale. And it's a rating of perceived exertion. And yeah. it goes from... We use the one that goes from 1 to 10, um, or well, 0 to 10, where 0 is like I'm laying down, this is no effort at all, and 10 is like this is my maximal effort, and I'm flat out, like I can't, I can't do anymore. And we like to say to mm-hmm. people, you know, we, we, we'd like for you to expend the type of effort where you're feeling at the end of the workout like you're in that uh, at least sort of 7 to 8 range. You're feeling like you work pretty mm-hmm. hard. And that's that's where the benefits come, and that's the uh, zone that you need to work in to sort of maintain what you lose when you age, which is, uh, you know, to, to use a common phrase, your, your top year. Um, you know, one and two, no, no problem. You can motor along in one and two all the time, and that's the low-intensity stuff. But, but really, it's about the loss of the top end um, that happens with age, and so that's the top year side of things. 
uh, that we're trying to get people to hang on to for as long as they can. Nice. Yeah, because what I see is people, you know, becoming, um, getting harder to get out of a chair, and then things really kind of go downhill um, pretty quickly when they just can't get up themselves, you know. You have to have a lot more assistance yeah. rather than live alone. They say, what's, what's the most important lift or what's the most important piece of strength? And you just hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's a, you know, a sit to stand, right? It's essentially once yeah. you can't do that, um, you're, you're in full-time institutionalized care. So it's, a, it's really, you know, we, we spend a lot of time uh, having people push things with their, with their legs. And mm-hmm. um, they very quickly realize where they're using this. And, you know, a lot of people still like to squat and get down and do some gardening or, you know, mm-hmm. play with their grandchildren, lots of other things. And, yeah. boy, it's much tougher when you're going to have a hard time getting off the floor or off the ground or even worse, getting out of a chair. So that's, um, right. you know, one of those lifts that we spend a lot of time working people's legs in, in that fashion to maintain that, uh, that capacity. Nice. All right, let me go back to the protein subject then. Um, is there a certain amount of protein that you recommend? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, the, the current uh, what's called an RDA or recommended dietary allowance is, uh, in my opinion, too, too low, particularly for older people. I, I, it, it sits currently at 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. And I think it should be higher. I think it should be at least 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram per day. So that's a 150% over what it is currently. And that older people need to pay attention to the amount of protein that they get in their diet because it's, uh, for a lot of reasons, it's the basically the building block or the substrate that is going to enable them to be able to hang on to muscle for longer. And when you combine it with exercise, it's, the, again, the substrate that repairs and, you know, we use the phrase remodels tissues um, after you've uh, engaged in some form of exercise, so particularly uh, resistance or weight training exercise. And it targets the tissue that we're interested in, um, you know, preserving, which is muscle. And, and I think the interesting, and, and, and probably a lot of people would uh, – you know, raise their eyebrows at this one is to remind people that your bone is actually 40% by its mass uh, protein. So once you've got adequate calcium and adequate vitamin D, um, then protein is actually a bone-supportive nutrient. It's it's not it doesn't cause your bones to become weak or frail or brittle or anything like that. So. It's it's a bone and muscle supportive nutrient and a lots of other functions as well, obviously. Okay. All right. So are you a fan of adding protein shakes or do you find that most seniors can get enough from their food? Yeah, I, I think I think that the types of targets that I'm talking about are a little bit harder for older people to achieve. It depends. Um, it depends on their, you know, sort of uh, where they buy their food, what they, you know, <laughs> how good they are preparing it. Um, I think yeah. you can easily get 1.2 1. 1. using real food. 
and you know when I say real food, you know sort of grocery store bought items, and uh, we we try and talk to people about you know what we call nutrient dense sources of protein, and so those are things like dairy protein, uh, eggs, uh, meat and fish, chicken, that sort of thing. Not to say that plant source proteins also you know are not nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. They just tend to have um, a little bit lower uh, amount of protein per amount of energy eaten. Mm-hmm. So you have to you sometimes have to eat a lot of legumes or beans uh, to get the amount of protein that we're talking about. So I don't really oppose the use of protein shakes. We've done plenty of studies with product formulations and protein style shakes with older people and they're remarkably effective. It's an easy, I would say convenient way to, for older people to get protein, but it's certainly not necessary. It just just makes things easier. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually added a protein shake because I just feel like I'm full sometimes before I've eaten, you know, what what would be enough, I think. And this, do you think there's a minimum amount, like per meal? I've heard that recently that you have to eat a certain um, amount of protein before it's um, effective in building muscle? Or that Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Lots of people have, um, have made that, uh, that point because, uh, you know, and I like to, trying to remind people, I say, you know, unlike fat or carbohydrates, um, which we can, we have a pretty good ability as humans to store, we don't have the ability to store protein somewhere. We can't kind of tuck it away and use it for later. So um, the meal that you eat uh, is really the available amino acids or the building blocks of protein uh, are only really usable within the time frame after you've eaten. So that might be, you know, four or five hours or thereabouts. Um, so the per meal, uh, serve might be something, I, I, you know, I, I, if I'm honest with you, I like to give it in a, uh, per, per kilo body weight uh, type basis. So if you split that 1.2, um, that I'm talking about into three meals, then it's 0.4 grams of protein per kilo per meal. Um, so that would be, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so to speak. Uh, most people mm-hmm. hit that target at dinner time, no problem. Uh, they right. fall short of it at lunch, and they fall very short of it at breakfast, mostly because they're, you know, following a lot of advice. They eat heart-healthy greens, and, and not that that's bad. Uh, it's just that they're not particularly high in uh, in protein at, at their breakfast meal. So it's uh, it's a lower protein meal, and I think it probably could stand to have a little bit of protein added to it for most people. To breakfast, yeah, a lot of people are starting with cereal or oatmeal uh, or toast instead of um, a protein breakfast. So that might be when they could add like a a smoothie or that that yogurt uh, or dairy, and of course eggs. And and, and yeah, eggs. I, yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, the, the you, to, to speak with people uh, down in the center I direct here, uh, and we talk about eggs, and I say, you know, they're they're affordable, um, they're uh, nutrient dense. There's lots of nutrients in eggs that we can't uh, get in from other foods. 
They have a decent serve of protein. I mean, it's still only about six or seven grams per egg. And you know what? And a lot of people go, oh, I love eggs, but the cholesterol. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the newsflash. You know, eggs are off the dirty list. Uh, you know, we're, even, even the dietary guideline folks is saying, you know, that the amount of cholesterol that we eat is not really uh, a main driver of the amount of cholesterol in circulation. So, you know, so they're, they're off the bad list. You can have an egg. It's all good. Um, and, and then, you know, of course, people sort of feel liberated and other people are like, oh, my doctor wouldn't let me do that. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, one egg a day is really not going to push you over the edge. And most of these people are all taking statins anyway. So it's, um, it's sort of a ridiculous assertion to try and trim back on dietary cholesterol. Okay. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into my next question. I know that, um, that uh, the YMCA in my area, we're going to be having a course in um, helping people that are pre-diabetic that's based on uh, lifestyle, which I think is great, but I do believe it um, is about lowering the fat content in their diet (laughs) instead of possibly, and of course it does encourage activity, which is is obviously a good part of it, but um, I would prefer to see like a lower carb program instead of a lower fat. Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah. For diabetes uh, prevention. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's really the, the, the diet wars type question, isn't it? And I mean, I, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember uh, living through, you know, carbs are good fat is bad. And so we removed a lot of fat from a lot of foods and we, you know, made sure they were low fat. Um, but we added back a lot of simple sugars to a lot of foods, particularly the, you know, I'll call them more processed foods. And I don't think that that was a particularly um, smart decision. You know, clearly uh, simple sugars, uh, they're not particularly what we call satiating. Uh, they don't make us feel full. Uh, we can eat a lot of them. Uh, sugar-sweetened beverages are, uh, you know, to me, it's just uh, empty calories, not particularly nutrient-dense. And the reality is that, um, you know, I, I eat a lot less carbohydrate now than I, than I did when I was younger. Uh, I'm not saying right. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm keto or, or anything like that, but I think that... Um, controlling your carbohydrate intake and at least maybe compensating for some of those carbohydrate calories with a little bit of protein. And I'm not afraid of dietary fat when it comes from a mixture of sources, right? So once you've got Mm -hmm. the saturated fat question uh, under control, which is, you know, usually 10% of energy or less, then heart-healthy fats are mono and polyunsaturated. And, you know, the Mediterranean diet is a great example. It is Literally, uh, you know, everything is soaked, and I mean soaked in in, in olive oil. Right. That's that's it's not a it, it, it's not a it's a heart healthy fat. It's a cardiovascularly healthy form of fat, as are a lot of um, other grains and um, uh, lots of other you know things like avocados. Lots of fat in those, but it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's healthy fat. So. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, physical activity is the foundation. There's, there's no way you mm-hmm. can really do a great job, I think, uh, without including that and, and sustaining mm-hmm. some of the changes. But I do think that the, 
uh, low-fat messages. Um, uh, let's just say it would be good to offer people a choice and not to demonize fat yeah. and say it's the problem. Uh, it, it can be if you eat too much of it from a particular source, and you could argue that that's saturated fat. But I do think that there were, you know, you could be, at least begin to acknowledge that there are other ways to eat in a very healthy manner uh, that are entirely consistent with dietary guidance that aren't, quote unquote, low fat. Okay, that was yeah, a very political right. answer. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 touchy, especially I, I think they just probably yeah. the curriculums don't maybe keep up with what you know the most recent and then you know we we get stuff wrong and then we <laughs> we go correct it yeah. and then we get it wrong again yeah. and we probably will get other yeah. stuff wrong but you know you just have to go with the best knowledge you have I guess but that that's where you with you're doing a lot of you know the real science and and uh, studies um, can be helpful so all right, I'm going to yeah. switch topics again. What is the oldest person that you've that you've helped to start an exercise program or at your center? Um, what's the oldest person you've seen benefit? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'll play my high card here. Uh, we have a, a gentleman, uh, which makes him rare because it's uh, rarer to get men who are centenarians, but a guy named John who is my, I tell him he's my poster child for uh, aging well, he's 104. Uh, oh, wow. He comes to our our center. Yeah. So uh, I think you know. I mean, it it's 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 still the message, and it's it's still true um, that uh, the whatever you want to call it, it's never too late to start. Mantra nice. is. Excellent. I think that the, the one that, you know, people, I've never exercised before. I've never done this before. Um, we have a lot of those people. I'll admit that a lot of them come, uh, you know, into our cardiac rehab program. Uh, they, mm-hmm. And they've had a life-changing event, and they, they say, okay, I need to learn how to do this. Uh, some stick Better with it. late uh, than never. You might yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Many don't. Uh, that's unfortunate. But I think that the, the point is um, – it's never too late to start. Uh, we've seen people in their in their there's data on people in their in their 90s uh, getting not maybe not improving their muscle mass per se, but definitely getting stronger and more functional. And um, so anybody can benefit. You know, you name the age range. I think everybody um, sees a benefit if we take a look around the world, these so-called blue zones, these, these you know, filled with sort mm-hmm. of centenarian uh, areas, they're always, well, first they're, they're blue, so they're usually near an ocean or some form of water. Okay. And they're usually yeah. built on a steep, steep hillside. You know, they've got a steep, and, and people say, well, these people don't exercise. I'm like, they don't have to. They're walking up and down hills all the time. You know, it's a, it's right. a built-in form of exercise, and they're very, very physically active. Um, you know, at the right. same time, their, their society values older people. So there's no ageism in the society. And, and, and so older people are supported and uh, et cetera. So there's, you know, there's a psychological component. And I'm absolutely certain a strong genetic driver. And people argue for diet and everything else like that. Uh, I guess yeah. my point would be that, um, you know, these people are still 
uh, even into their 90s and beyond 100, uh, they're marching up and down hills and they're trudging all over town, still buying their groceries, et cetera, et cetera. They slow down, of course. You know, aging is, is always going to get you at some point. Yeah, the combination, though, you're right, of lifestyle, fresh air, fresh food, lots of, uh, lots of camaraderie probably, too, and family time. It sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might, yeah. Might have to look at moving though. There are pockets. There are pockets of centenarians that aren't always in these blue zones. They exist in other places. Uh-huh. It's just that they're they tend to be concentrated in certain areas around the world. And so, people have studied these these folks and sort of said that uh, you know uh, the point to make is um, uh, really that you know all of these folks. Um, have the potential. Some people believe mm-hmm. it's, you know, uh, it's just lifestyle that's limiting our, our, our lifespan right now, and there's lots of other things we can do to extend it. What we're really talking mm-hmm. about in the context of diet and exercise is, of course, a much closer matching between what we call our health span, which is the number of years we spend in, you know, quote-unquote good health, so mm-hmm. i.e. without a chronic condition, uh, able to move yeah. well, feeling emotionally well, mental health-wise well, et cetera, et cetera, um, and matching that with our, uh, our lifespan. Because we've added 30-plus years to our life in, in the last century, right? So, oh. um, yeah. So we just want that to be as, as good as possible, as mobile, and, and um, yeah, and be able to carry on a conversation without dementia, all that stuff. Do you... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, do you think there's any relationship between sarcopenia and dementia? Because I did see an article about that recently from Japan. Yeah, great question. Uh, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, does exercise change your brain? I'd have been like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not sure. Five years ago, yeah. I've been like, you know what? There's a bit of evidence now. It's unequivocal. Um, exercise okay. has effects that go well beyond just muscle and bone and heart and lung, uh, and it does affect mental health. We know that there are people who exercise mm-hmm. greater, or excuse me, reduce risk of depression, reduce risk of anxiety, uh, protection against uh, both all cause and Alzheimer's-related dementia. Better prognosis for Alzheimer's and, and demented patients who are physically active. They tend to retain function longer, like I'm talking cognitive function. And mm. we now know that people's brains who exercise regularly, a uh, specific part of their brain, the hippocampus, which is really important in cognitive processes, is, is actually enhanced. It's larger. Uh, and it's preserved. Uh, so, you know, if you, again, well, 10 years ago you said, does your brain change with exercise? And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know. But I have a good um, a bunch of colleagues here in my department who now remind me regularly that, um, that exercise is, is um, you know, is good for the brain as much as it is for uh, the physical musculature. So, you know, I thank them for uh, reminding me why it's important to exercise. It's not just about my muscles, my heart, my lungs, but my... Uh, my brain health as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And we're scratching the surface uh, on that one. Really, well, we're, we're just in early days. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, listen, on that subject, where can people follow you then for, uh, for future 
studies and more information? Yeah, so I, I am fairly active on social media. My uh, tag name on Instagram, and which I'm not very good on, uh, but on Twitter is MacKinProf, M-A-C-K-I-N-P-R-O-F, so at MacKinProf. Um, and I am on Facebook as well as uh, Stuart Phillips, Ph.D., so you, I have a, a page there okay. that I post stuff on. Uh, I, I, I try to get, my, get our stuff out there and sort of uh, – Preach the good word. Um, it's a state. It's a state-funded or, or provincially-funded university I work for. So I work for the taxpayers. I think it's important to try and translate some of the knowledge that we have. So I, I try to get out there a little bit. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. This interview is a good wrap-up to my first season of podcasts. I'm sure what Stuart had to say has motivated you to start an exercise program, both cardio and strength, and to get enough protein. I'll be taking a short summer break, but I plan to record chapters of my very short book off of the couch and posting them on the podcast. And I'll be posting a bonus episode of an interview of me by Casey Ruff of Balanced Body Radio and of the How to Make a Podcast podcast. I also want to say hello to Stuart Phillips' mother because he says that she listens to all his podcast interviews. It sounds like she's a great example for other seniors because she goes to his exercise center. Thanks again for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. Take a small step. See you soon.